Why was it so difficult for Utah to be granted statehood? We'll talk about that next on Polygamy, What Love Is This? First Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11 says, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, we are going to talk about that foundation as we have in the past. We got some more information about it this time. And Dorothy Catlin is here as our co-host. Thank you very much. Thanks. She's always... I, I always enjoy being here, Doris. sharing and participating and... <laughs> And adding your own two cents worth is always very good. <laughs> We're going to talk about the foundation of the gospel as opposed mm. to the foundation of Mormonism. The foundation of the gospel, obviously, was laid thousands of years ago. And that foundation is nothing more and nothing less than Jesus Christ himself. But then Joseph Smith came along and laid a different foundation, claiming the first one had been lost because of apostasy. But when did Jesus apostatize? Because he personally is the foundation. Uh, better yet, can he apostatize or change his purpose or allow the original foundation to be destroyed? Despite what Mormonism teaches, this doesn't say that Jesus Christ through Joseph Smith is the foundation or through polygamy. The foundation is Jesus alone. Now, early Mormon polygamy and today's polygamists believe and teach that God is a polygamist and that Jesus is a polygamist and that his people also must be polygamists in order to qualify for eternal life. We do this program to show them that their doctrine is not historical or biblical or part of the indestructible foundation that has already been laid. Now, polygamists are very religious people. That's why our program is religious, because they are. Naturally, if we want them to know the truth, we must present God's truth to them, prayerfully hoping that they will see that Jesus is the way to eternal life and not Mormon doctrine, not polygamy. Basically, it's a biblical as well as a natural law that the root determines the fruit which the plant produces. Today, we're going to go back to the root, as we often do, because Jesus said a bad root can't produce good fruit. Mormonism claims there was a worldwide apostasy which wiped Jesus' true church from the planet, and centuries later, it took Joseph Smith to lay the foundation again. But the root of Mormonism opposes the teachings of Jesus and his disciples. We want to share some of that today. We found an interesting publication. The cover page is on the screen. It's entitled, Utah Statehood, Reasons Why It Should Not Be Granted. Salt Lake City Tribune Print, 1887. Utah was not granted statehood until 1896, nine years after this publication. And we found it interesting enough to share with our polygamous viewers and our Mormon viewers as well, so they can better understand the roots of Mormon Utah and perhaps recognize that Utah's culture through the decades continues to reflect the same root of Brigham Young's early Mormon Utah. From its beginning to this very day, deception has been a foundational part of the LDS organization and the polygamy groups as well. The leaders know the deceptions, they mastermind them, they plant them, and then deny them. Sadly, most of the leaders or members have no idea 
of the various deceptions Mormonism has contrived or that they continue to perpetuate through their deceit. This booklet describes some of their deceptive and illegal practices of the political religious powers that controlled the early Mormon Utah Territory. Polygamy, of course, is one of the topics of deception described in this publication. First of all, when Utah applied for statehood, they refused to comply with United States laws and statutes. In fact, the early Mormons damned and condemned the United States of America. We have a quote. Yeah, this is a fascinating letter to quote from. Uh, so, as to make you realize the enormity of Mormonism, suffice it that I found them a community of traitors, murderers, fanatics, and whores. The people publicly rejoice at the reverse to our arms and thank God that the American government is gone, as they term it, while their prophets and bishops preach treason from the pulpit. Federal officers are entirely powerless and talk in whispers for fear of being overheard by Brigham's spies. Brigham Young rules, rules with despotic sway and death by assassination is the penalty of disobedience to his command. Ooh, that's so, pretty... Pretty severe rough. language. It is. It, it very much is. And of course, he mentions death by assassination. We know that the blood atonement mm -hmm. right. was part of Brigham Young's Mormonism. Many of the early Mormon leaders lashed out against the country because it refused to legalize polygamy. They blamed the country and its citizens for not avenging the death of Joseph Smith. And an oath of vengeance was incorporated into the Mormon temple ritual and was there for decades. They ignored that God said the vengeance belongs to him. Mm -hmm. Mormon president, whom they called a prophet, John Taylor, said this about the United States. The people of the rest of the country are our enemies. When the government conflicts with heaven, we will be ranged under the banner of heaven and against the government. I defy the United States. I will obey God. Okay. And this was prophet and president of the LDS Church, mm -hmm. John Taylor. And so they damned the government of the United States. This was the attitude of Mormon leadership while they were seeking to be admitted to the United States of America. Of course, Mormonism no longer makes these threats against the country, but the polygamists continue to clench their collective fists against the laws of the land by practicing polygamy, performing underage plural marriages, trafficking females across state and national borders for the purpose of plural marriage sex. They continue to bleed the beast, uh, conduct welfare and food stamp fraud, force minors to work with no pay or low pay, and make monetary payoffs for political favors, and who knows what else. So you can see that the years haven't changed their attitude about being law-abiding citizens for the very country, from of the very country, that they enjoy so mm -hmm. many benefits. We read this from the publication of why Utah should not be admitted to the United States. The non-Mormons of Utah do not believe that the application for statehood is made in good faith or with any purpose of abandoning polygamy or of even punishing it. But it is their unanimous opinion that the admission of Utah as a state under control of the Mormon political party would result first in loss of their personal rights and property and second in an inevitable conflict with the federal government. The Mormons are a law to themselves and respect no law which does not suit them or which 
which may conflict with their pretended revelations. They have never kept faith with any government or party. Oh, that's <laughs> that's a pretty strong statement. <laughs> yes, most of these are pretty strong statements. <laughs> they really are <laughs> about how the early Utah was was governed. Uh, now there were non-Mormons living in in Utah's polygamous communities, and and they suffered under the oppression of Mormon laws and prejudice against anyone who wasn't of the Mormon faith. If Utah had been granted sovereign statehood without making internal changes, it would have become a theocratic communistic state within the free United States of America. That wouldn't work out very well. Now, early Mormons especially ruled their members and the entire territory with an iron rod. Like we read, he was a dead, mm -hmm. you know, the, that's how Brigham Young ruled. And of course, he himself was a polygamist. He was president and leader of the Mormon church and at the same time was the governor of the state of Utah. So we have this theocratic conflict of interest political, there. yeah. <laughs> The Mormon prophet and president reigned, placing Utah Territory under a religious ruling authority. They took advantage of it and misused their powers. This was not the wisdom behind the Constitution of this country. Now, this publication was appealing to the, the to the national political powers with that without changes being made in Utah governing authority, it would be a very bad idea to grant statehood for Utah, of which they were applying. We have another quote. <clears throat> the Mormons seek statehood to get out of the dilemma without submitting to the law. The non-Mormons of Utah appeal to Congress not to deliver them over to a majority which treats all others as enemies. These ask that Congress continue its protection over them until Utah is brought into harmony with free and civilized institutions, and that the national laws be continued in force to that end. That, if the obstinate and continued evils shall render it necessary, such laws may be so amended and extended to reach and entirely suppress the evils. The Mormon power is utterly irreconcilable with and repugnant to all civil government. It is subversive of all governments but its own. Wow. Uh, this, this, is, this is a pretty strong statement uh, from uh, people who lived here mm -hmm. during the time that's under discussion. You know, it was that way until, um, I would say, the early 60s. Utah mm, still was very subversive to non-Mormons, yeah, mm. and even past that, even to some degree now, they control the legis, they control okay, much so of the Okay, so I've lived here twenty years, and I have observed that, but yeah. you know, I don't yeah. have any personal experience with anything before two thousand. Yeah, but. it's it's it, it it's been that way for a long, long mm. time. It, it finally lifted up some of it. I think Hinckley came in and said, "We're living a pluralistic society. Let's treat all others nice." And and so there was a little bit of change started being yeah. made when he started doing that. But even even uh, in those early days, it was worse than it. It ever was yeah. in these days. The non-Mormon people saw the Mormon stronghold as utterly irreconcilable and repugnant to the civil government. They charged it with being subversive in its organization and characterized by schemers who commanded a large, ignorant mass of people who obeyed without question, saying that these are not the elements of which a free state can be created. Utah had to make some real changes before statehood would be granted. Politically, the Mormons had formed what they called the People's Party, 
interesting name. They put together a constitution, the Mormon people did, put together a constitution and of course unanimously ratified it, but the non-Mormons did not, <coughs> did not vote on the ratification. During those days, and even now to some extent, the Mormons referred to themselves as Israel and referred to everyone else as Gentiles. That alone is questionable. John R. Winder was chairman of the People's Territorial Central Committee. He was a staunch Mormon. He sent out invitations to people to nominate delegates who would attend mass meetings to vote at the Constitutional Convention for Utah. They invited all classes of people and requested the cooperation of other political parties. This was a definite pro-Mormon Constitutional Convention and everyone knew it. We want to share some of the responses from those to whom non-Mormons whom this invitation was sent. Now, so far as I know, there's not a single non-Mormon of any shade of political faith in Utah who's willing to cooperate in the proposed measure or would not regard its consummation as not only destructive to their individual rights and interests, but suicidal to the peace and prosperity of the territory. That's because they were, everything was pro-Mormon, pro-polygamy. Mm -hmm. They stacked the juries. They stacked the, the uh, law-abiding offices, you know, so everything was pro-Mormon. And that's why they made that remark. He wrote that Utah was under the control of the religious Mormon party, which is invested with these delegated powers, yet for a quarter of a century stood against national laws and at that time continued to resist the laws of the land. He also wrote this in response. The assumption of political power under ecclesiastical organization has been the chief cause of the troubles in which your party has been involved. So chief who's cause. the you in view, the chief troubles in which your party has been involved? The, 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 the People's Party, the Mormon Party, oh, that okay. had been formed by Mormons, for Mormons, <laughs> um, and that was their, their... That's what it was called then. <laughs> I think now it's called... Well, no, it's not called anything now. <laughs> uh, of course, they, they were concerned about the central control mm -hmm. that the Mormon church had over the people and over the entire territory. And over the appearance of political control, which really is religious control. The religious That's, control, okay. exactly. Just making sure I understand what I'm reading. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's quite an involved publication. We're just pulling some of the yeah. quotes out of it, but it's a very interesting one to read. Uh, and the control that the Mormons had was over people, over businesses, over stacked juries, like we mentioned, the perverted law, judicial government, and of course, they refused to give up polygamy. Presently, the complaint of today's LDS and polygamists is that when they first started living polygamy in those early days, it was legal, but laws were then or subsequently passed against their religion because of plural marriage and they call, cried foul over that. But that isn't true. Yes, the federal government passed laws against polygamy. Even the United States Supreme Court affirmed that laws against polygamy was not unconstitutional, but every location the Mormons lived, the local and state laws had already prohibited polygamy. When they came to Utah, it was a Mexican territory and polygamy was against the law in Mexico. They colonized in Canada and polygamy was against the law there too. All this despite the fact that Mormons' initial creed stated they would obey the laws of the land in which they lived.
we quote. Article of Faith number 12. We believe in being subject to kings, presidents, rulers, and magistrates in obeying, honoring, and sustaining the law. Okay. And that, uh, those articles of faith so, was made up long. It's, either, it's be- either this or that. It's either true or it isn't. That's right. Exactly <laughs> right. <laughs> now, I think it's interesting to point out at this point that Old English law held the death penalty for polygamists. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for a time, the law was brought forward from the Old English law because a lot of our laws were were uh, based on some of the Old English law, which a lot of it was based on the Bible too, by the way. But the the old it was brought forward into the state of Virginia, and their state law was execution for polygamists. Of course, no one was that I know of executed in Virginia for polygamy. Later, it was amended only to imprisonment rather than death for the crime of polygamy. Now, we quote from the Virginia Law Register, page 907. The first Virginia statute is practically the same as the first English statute, carrying with it the death penalty. But by Code of 1819, the penalty is reduced to imprisonment in the public jail or penitentiary, not less than one nor more than three years. Now, this is talking about polygamy. Right. So, not less than a year, no no more than three. Well, that's still a pretty big chunk out of your life. Yeah, it is. It, it definitely is, but if, if they had been living polygamy at the time of the death penalty, the, right. the Mormons would have been executed for living polygamy. So, you know, the laws were already in place against polygamy. They can't say that the United States made the laws after they discovered the Mormons were living polygamy. If the Mormons had practiced polygamy in Virginia, like we said, they would have been arrested and executed. And as we read Mormon history... They say they believe in being subject to the laws, but their behavior told a different story. The Bible also teaches that we are to submit to the laws of the land in which we live. We quote Mm -hmm. from the Bible. Okay, so this is Titus 3.1. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authority. And 1 Peter 2.13-15. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God. Now, maybe our listeners don't realize that that was written during the first century when Caesar, Nero actually probably at this point in history, was on the throne in Rome. Really persecuting the Christian, Mm -hmm. those who... About to be anyway by the time these were written. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and still they were supposed to obey obey the laws of the land. Subject themselves. Mm -hmm. So contrary to early Mormonism, it is the will of God for us to live peacefully with the governing authorities and to be good law-abiding citizens. We are to submit to the governing laws and authorities. Their argument is, well, yes, we are to comply unless it goes against the law of God. And they use one play, one passage in the book of Acts as their uh, foundation for that. But the only instance in the New Testament where the disciples refused to obey religious authority was when they were told not to speak about Jesus. Mm-hmm. Other than that, there's no place where it was okay for them to be lawbreakers. Certainly, you'll never find in the scriptures that polygamy is an exception. It was because of their stubborn, law-breaking, theological dogma that Congress and the people were against Utah statehood. Of course, the polygamists maintain that God was giving progressive revelations to the Mormon people, a belief that is not only unbiblical, but most non-Mormons didn't believe it either. (laughs) 
In a progressive creed like that of your party, which claims cumulative new revelations from time to time, there may be room and occasion for abrogating constitutional provisions. Constitutional guarantees have no force with a majority who consider them null as opposed to a higher law or divine revelation. And that was their attitude. God said we do this, we'll do it. So we can just ignore, ignore what the, the Constitution says. Right, mm. exactly. And that's why they didn't want to grant Utah statehood. Good, and it's good, valid reason. I think that's a worthwhile <laughs> argument. <laughs> and, and, and that's, like we say, exactly how the, the, the Mormons then and the present-day polygamists' attitude. Polygamy is a higher law. They are to obey that law uh, and, and other supposed revelations, and in doing so are free from obeying the laws of the land. Their excuses for not being good citizens is God. Now, he takes the blame for a lot of disobedience, including polygamy. But how can polygamy be a higher law? When God instituted monogamy and Jesus himself affirmed monogamy and 1 Corinthians 7-2 commands monogamy. Also, we read in the Bible that there are only two higher laws, love God and love each other. Jesus never said polygamy was a law higher than loving God. And it's interesting, this passage we're going to read, actually, is Jesus' response to the question, which is the highest law? Exactly. Which is the greatest? What's the most important? That's right. So, this answer is found in Matthew 22, 37 to 39. And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah, and no mention of polygamy. No polygamy. And, and, and how can polygamy supplant them? Well, it's not even marriage there. It's right. all about us and God. Exactly, our relationship with the Lord and with each other. So, we, we've asked these questions in the past, but so far we haven't had a single valid answer from a polygamist. Here's another quote from the book, Why Should uh, Utah Not Be Granted Statehood? And it centers directly on polygamy. The political history of the territory of Utah and the system of plural marriage are so closely interwoven that one cannot be considered separate and apart from the other. In fact, since July 24, 1847, polygamy has given tone to the political policy of the Mormon people. Every effort has been made to strengthen polygamy. The result has been that nearly every man of prominence in the church became a polygamist. The controlling intellect of Utah became involved in the practice. They filled nearly every office of importance in the church and in the territorial and county governments and had a large majority of every legislative assembly. So all the controlling power were mm -hmm. practicing polygamy people, polygamist men. Yeah. There are just a few... These, by the way, are just a few of the objections that have been stated in this publication. It consistently presents numerous problems with the Mormon population, its leadership and membership, and its stranglehold on the Utah Territory. They complained that the religion wanted their uh, religious freedom, but they didn't want the responsibility of being honest, upright, law-abiding citizens, that they were a law unto themselves, which Brigham Young himself had pronounced that they were when he said this. I live above the law, 
and so do this people. There you go. That's it. How do you? <laughs> that covers That's all. Pretty that much says it, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. There's no law. <laughs> and this was the pioneer Mormon attitude. Mm -hmm. Brigham Young's autocratic leadership resulted in many of the problems that are outlined in this book. And we have another quote from Brigham Young affirms this attitude. We shall pull the wool over the eyes of the American people and make them swallow Mormonism, polygamy, and all. Okay, that's that's another. That's terrifying. It, it is. It was terrifying <laughs> under his rule. I've read some personal accounts and and some biographies of during under Brigham Young's rule, and it was pretty terrifying. If you, yeah, if you, you got under his bad side, got on his bad side. <coughs> Excuse me. The early Mormons resisted every effort, the courts of law, the Supreme <coughs> Court, imprisonment, soldiers, federally appointed agents, and numerous appeals from the United States government to stop <coughs> polygamy. They were warned that they would not be allowed in the United States of America unless they gave it up and renounced it. And history shows they claimed to give it up in 1890, but it was just a smokescreen and they continued with their polygamy. Here's another quote to illustrate their stubborn attitude and deceitful behavior. Excuse me, Doris. Can, just, is, are you okay? Something is tickling me. Uh-oh. I think I can read this. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Therefore, we, in announcing our position, do so under the supposition that all objection to the admission of Utah as a state because of the attitude of those hitherto wielding her political power on the subject of polygamy, long sentence, every objection will be met by a real or seeming abandonment of this custom for the future. The objections have not been met. This question aside, then, we desire to say that our objections to Utah becoming a state are still untouched. Okay, it took many years before they mm -hmm. finally dealt with the problems, and even then they just said they did and didn't. The Mormon religious powers in Utah refused to comply with the requirements necessary to become a sovereign state in the free United States of America. Now, we have a bit more information to present about this topic, and then we want to present a more modern-day story of the fruits of Mormon polygamy, and we will finish that next time. I hope your voice <laughs> recovers <laughs> from all this. <laughs> Something tickled me. <laughs> but I think it's interesting. I don't know how many polygamists or even the LDS people themselves know some of this behavior, this bad news of their early Mormon behavior. Um, well, and I had inklings of it from moving yeah. here and doing my own historical research, but this particular document is is gloves off. Yeah, right? it <laughs> it's is. pretty straightforward. It, it is, absolutely. So we have part two that we're going to talk more about this, Dorothy, yeah. and thank you very much. You're welcome. See you in part two. <laughs> Someone said that what's good about Mormonism is not unique, and what's unique about Mormonism is not good. Well, that describes their unique doctrinal teachings such as polygamy and temples and the literal brotherhood of Jesus and Lucifer. When God gave his word to humans, he warned them against believing and worshiping other gods because he alone is God. Mormonism ignores that warning. The word Mormon has been defined to mean more good. But it's in the Bible that we learn about true goodness and righteousness. Jesus said, no one is good but God alone. 
own. So anyone who wants to learn about more good, go to God. Go to His Word. Don't go to Mormonism because their unique doctrines are not good. Jesus is the only Savior, and He saves by grace because He is rich in mercy. And our God never commanded polygamy. Thank you for watching. This has been the audio podcast of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. Polygamy, What Love Is This? is produced by A Shield and Refuge Ministry. More information on this program, including the video version of it, can be found at whatloveisthis.tv. If you have any questions or need help getting free from Mormon fundamentalism, write us at contact at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 1-800-877-425-9993.